on the show today unemployment is up according to stats SA we'll unpack those figures we'll look ahead to tomorrow's budget speech also South Africa presents oral argument at the ICJ as the court hears submissions on Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories illegal miners behind armed robberies and traffic on Joburgs M1 and M2 this morning also a report from Rivoli and Gauteng Premier Panyaza Lasufi on Etols and last night's SOPA all of that over the next hour 702. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. The quarterly labor force survey has just dropped for the fourth quarter of last year. And there are more unemployed people now than there were. So the official unemployment rate was 32.1% in the fourth quarter. So the number of employed persons decreased by 22,000 to 16.7 million people in this country are unemployed. The number of unemployed persons increased by 46,000 to 7.9 million during the same quarter. Uh, So the above changes in employment and unemployment resulted in the official unemployment rates increasing by 0.2 0.2 of a percentage point from 3.1 uh, 3, 31.9% to 32.1%. Long story short is unemployment has got worse. Um, and of course the finance minister is going to have to look at this as he balances the um the 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 the, the debt uh, hole that South Africa is in and trying to get the economy going as well. The fiscal debt problem that we have. We'll speak about that a bit later on. Send me a WhatsApp voice note 072 702 But first, the ICJ is holding week-long hearing into the consequences of Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories. This is at the request of the General Assembly of the United Nations. So the uh, Palestinian case was initiated in December last uh, of 2022. This has no link to South Africa's approach to the ICJ. So it's a different matter entirely. This is a case that was brought in December 22, in which um, the uh, Palestinians asked for a declaration that Israel's military action in Gaza uh, amounts uh, to genocide. So that was ours. Today, in this matter, the South African ambassador to the Netherlands, Vusi Maronsela, and the acting chief state law advisor at the Department of International Relations, Andres Stemmet, have been presenting South Africa's oral arguments at the ICJ. Have a listen to Ambassador Madonsela. And the situation of the occupied Palestinian population has worsened exponentially, with the reality of apartheid becoming so obviously explicit as to now being recognized not only by South African and Palestinian victims of apartheid themselves, but by the broader international community, including both Israeli and international human rights organizations. Moreover, it is clear that Israel's illegal occupation is also being administered in breach of the prohibition of the crime of apartheid. It is indistinguishable from settler colonialism, which has no place in the 21st century. Israeli apartheid must end. Palestine, the last unfulfilled sacred trust of civilization, for whom the international community bears responsibility, must now be fulfilled. 
the Palestinian people must be permitted to exercise their inalienable right to self-determination. The South African ambassador to the Netherlands, Wuzi Maron Sela, making South Africa's case there. Israel is not making oral submissions. It has sent written submissions. So that's happening all this week. The ICJ holding week-long hearings into the consequences of Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories. 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So if you were stuck in traffic this morning uh, at the Crown Interchange, so on the M1 North uh, near the M2 off-ramp, there was uh, a high degree of, of panic and chaos from what it, dis- uh, what it sounded like. Um, according to motorists, they described the scene as, as a mess, as chaotic, because there were uh, armed individuals who were carrying out muggings um, and uh, robberies and uh, were holding people at gunpoint. Um, the JMPD did respond. It's understood, according to the police, that the group fled to a nearby illegal mining shaft when law enforcement arrived at the scene of the crime. Let's try and understand what happened with Tolani Fichla, who's the JMPD spokesperson. Tolani, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. Do you have a sense of, of what exactly happened this morning? Uh, good afternoon to you and uh, to the listeners as well. As you did say that we received uh, information this morning uh, through uh, social media, firstly on an X uh, feed and uh, through a voice note that was going around uh, saying that uh, people are being uh, robbed on the M1 that's at the Crown Interchange joining the, the M2. Uh, officers have been uh, deployed in that area and from the preliminary information we did receive is that once they did uh, get to the scene there were a group of men who fled uh, as you did say into a somehow shift a shaft and what the officers saw is that they weren't carrying any firearms but it is suspected that they are linked to illegal mining and it's further suspected that these people are the ones that are terrorizing the motorists. Uh, officers also didn't find any victims on the scene as well. So it, it is a, a bit difficult to make sure what really happened. Mm. But we are uh, urging the victims who were involved in this incident to immediately report it and open a criminal case at the police station for the matter to be investigated. But uh, definitely uh, JMPD are... Uh, uh, around that area trying to, to gather more evidence or any kind of trace so that we can track these uh, suspects. So uh, to be clear, there, um, there are no actual victims that have come forward to open a case or to, to be in touch with the JMPD. There are quite a few photographs mm-hmm. that are being shared on social media of, of these suspects mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and showing exactly where they are. What is your appeal mm-hmm. as the JMPD? No, we are appealing uh, uh, firstly for victims to come forward so that uh, the matter can be investigated uh, by the SAPS and will most definitely assist uh, in, in those regards to closely identify who these people are and make sure that they are brought to book. But uh, what I can say is that our tactical response uh, unit, uh, since it was uh, uh, deployed in the area, they are searching and any kind of evidence that we do get to then make sure that we uh, uh, put uh, uh, 
the suspects are brought to book. But we are also urging the formatrice uh, to be extra vigilant in these type of incidences. Uh, this uh, is uh, one incident that we've never come across within the city of Johannesburg. We know that uh, we do have incidences where uh, people are robbed on the freeway, but that's either at night when vehicles are broken down or at secluded areas. One of our uh, biggest hotspots uh, is uh, the M12 in Eldorado Park and Slover Park. But uh, when it's a peak hour period, uh, periods. This uh, is the first time that we've we've ever seen this uh, the type of incident. So we are appealing for motorists uh, to be extra cautious. And if you do encounter such incidences, to immediately report it to the police so that officers are deployed and we can deal with it accordingly. Tlorani, thank you very much. Tlorani Fikla, JMPD spokesperson, there uh, giving us an update on what's happening. So if you were a victim, please do get in touch with the JMPD. Uh, and it certainly does seem, according to police, that this uh, group is associated with illegal mining. Um, and interestingly, this comes as the Gauteng Premier, Panyaza Lusufi, said in his State of the Province address last night that the province was winning the war against illegal mining. Well, that is certainly not the feeling of residents of Riverley. They remain concerned about uh, informal settlements in the area and links to illegal mining. EWN reporter Oren Singh uh, went out to speak to people in that community of uh, Riverley and the Zamampilo informal settlement as well. Oren joining us in studio. Uh, Oren, tell us what, uh, what the sense is in Riverley about the situation with illegal mining. Manny, I think it's safe to say that um, to an extent, the operations that were conducted by SAPS and SANDF um, have have provided some results for the community. There haven't been as many shootings as were reported last year. Remember, that sort of erupted the whole violence in Rivoli when community took protests to the road and so forth, um, calling on government to, to assist them in stemming the um, violent shootings that were going on there and that at least claimed one innocent life in the area of Rivoli. So the shootings have subsided, but at the end of the day, the Zamazamas are back. They're back in the area. Um, the holds, Some of the holds that lead to these mining shafts that were closed by governments are back open. Um, they found ways to get into these shafts again and they're keeping a low profile. They have been cited by community members in and around the area, um, many of them running in groupings at late at night. But uh, without a doubt, community confirmed to us that the Zamazamas are back. So for them, their main thing, and this is what the Riverly community did last year when the police minister was in there and made promises to them, as so many politicians go into communities and do. They handed over a petition and something that the Rivoli community have been fighting for a long time. They're trying to get rid of an informal settlement that they claim is plaguing the area in terms of providing uh, a, a platform or springboard for crime uh, to take place. Um, they say a lot of the Zamazamas are living in that informal settlement and it has been a subject of numerous raids by SNDF and SAPS as well. We caught up with the Rivoli Ratepayers Association chairperson, Anthony Sherman, and this was what he had to tell us regarding their petition that was handed over to government last year. The camp behind us, which is Zamampilo, an informal settlement, has enjoyed a lot of the attention from the government, which means that what we are currently seeing is a result of the petition that was handed to them, which was number one, that the issue of Zamampilo be addressed because that is the main contributor to illegal mining in the area. Because you find that the Zamazamas live there, they work there, their shafts are in this camp, which means if you see an empty shack, uh, know there's a shaft in the empty shack. So you find that a lot of uh, the illegal mining activity finds its springboard 
right here at Zamampilo. But what we can say is, from our petition, there has been rolling action uh, between the South African National Defence Force as well as SEPs, which are working well together currently. And they have their sporadic raids of this camp, uh, at least two a month, uh, which we have gauged. And it seems to be working and being fruitful. But uh, the hope still is that this whole camp must be removed. So there you've got uh, a representative from the Riverley Ratepayers Association, Association, Anthony Sherman. Um, so we have last night the Premier saying we've broken the back, we've made all of these arrests, we're making progress. This morning we've got this incident uh, on the M1, M2 split crown interchange. It's about seven, eight kilometres, you were telling me, from, from Riverley. What, what sense does this give us now of where we are in terms of dealing with the, the illegal mining situation? I mean, Andy, I think it's something that the government, uh, you know, hope to get their uh, grip on. And they have tried to make inroads. I know on the West Strand, there's been a number of operations by uh, DPCI, the Hawks, as well as SANDF and SAPS in making thousands of arrests um, when it comes to Zamazamas. But at the end of the day, Mandy, you and I both know, this filters up. And if they're not going to go for the kingpins, if they're not going to actually get to the root cause of who's buying this gold, who's funding these guys... Um, it's never going to stop. So at the end of the day, they can arrest thousands. There'll be a thousand back the next day. Aaron Singh, EWN reporter, thank you very much for that. Uh, I'm having a look at some of these photographs that have been shared on, on social media, which shows um, these guys with firearms just walking around uh, rush hour traffic. Um, and according to, to motorists, that it was uh, chaotic because they were holding motorists up in traffic. Look, this is not a new thing. Um, Golani was saying that it is a, a new trend, the fact that it's happening in broad daylight uh, at a busy um, intersection or on the highway like this. Um, usually it happens at night. Usually it happens in more secluded areas. Um, but it's the brazenness. It's the fact that they're quite happy to just walk around um, and seem to have been able to get away into uh, an unused mine shaft. Um, what does this tell us about how we are dealing with uh, illegal miners in, in this country? And why is there this change in modus operandi now? What is the tactic behind that? What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good afternoon, Mandy and the 702 team. It's Heidi. I hope you guys are well. Regarding the robberies on the highway this morning, I heard people phoning in this morning and saying that on these intersections, there is always either traffic police or metro police, but they were not there this morning. Why? Good afternoon, Mandy. So once the guys ran into the mine shaft, that's it. That was it. They just watched them run into the mine shaft and they waved them goodbye. We are led. We are led indeed. Look, um, they do say they're working with the police and they are in the area and they're searching for the suspects. But keep in mind, um, if if these are in fact illegal miners, they will know that network um, better than any law enforcement, which is the, the reality of the situation. It is no excuse whatsoever. Uh, King Spool says, what will it take for us to be outraged at South Africa's unemployment rate? This talks about the graduates that can't find jobs, the millions of youth sitting on street corners with nothing to do. These numbers are not sustainable. An Arab Spring moment will soon follow. Well, the question is, what will it take us to get outraged? The fact that unemployment is getting worse and unemployment is so bad, is that a black mark against the ANC for you going into the election? And at what point do we get outraged? And how will the finance minister deal with this in his budget speech tomorrow? 
702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. So we are expecting an impeachment hearing for the uh, former Western Cape Judge President, John Klope, and the uh, former Gauteng Judge, Nkola Motata, to take place tomorrow. But there uh, has been talk, and we have been speaking to our reporter, Lindsay Dentlinger, about an attempt, uh, a court application, by John Klope to interdict this impeachment from taking place. Let's get the latest on this with Lindsay, and then we'll have a look at what all of this means. Uh, Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. We spoke yesterday and we were waiting to see whether or not there was going to be an interdict. Where are we with that now? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, we've been in court for two and a half hours now with no break. Um, And so this interdict application is going ahead. Uh, Suspended Judge President John Schlope in an ironic twist of fate before his own court. Although I must point out that they have um, Gauteng High Court Judge Tulet Potrell presiding over this uh, application this morning, uh, in which the judge president uh, is arguing that he's being treated unfairly by parliament. Uh, his legal team just a short while ago telling Judge Potrell that there seems to be an obscene haste uh, to get rid of him without considering due process. They are making arguments here, um, Mandy, in respect of the process that parliament has followed, pointing to the fact that there are no rules that guide um, this particular process. In their view, um, Parliament is acting like a rubber stamp. Um, they have referred to Parliament as being a supine observer and really just dancing to the tune of the Judicial Service Commission and his legal team arguing that that should not be the case. Uh, the future of an eminent judge president the longest-serving judge president in South Africa, the most experienced high court judge in South Africa, can't just be reduced to a political decision and that uh, MPs can't just um, exercise their role as voting autobots, as his legal team have put it here so far this morning. Uh, I imagine a response then from Parliament uh, to come as well. What kind of time frame are we looking at here and when do we expect the actual um, impeachment vote to take place? Well, the impeachment vote is expected to start at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So it's highly unusual that on a budget day, which is a fairly, uh, probably the second biggest day on the parliamentary calendar, that is um, business that carries on after the budget. And so for the first time, uh, we're seeing that once um, the finance minister has tabled the budget, uh, they will have a short recess and then this roll call voting will start individually for the two different judges, as you pointed out early, earlier, Mandy. Unless, of course, the court interdicts um, Parliament from carrying out that vote pending Judge President John Schlope's uh, constitutional right. court application that he has and his legal team here arguing that they believe that it has a reasonable prospect uh, of hmm. success given what we've seen in uh, that court ruling on um, similar matters uh, for impeachment of the president and the heads of chapter nine institutions in the past. And so unless there is um, some kind of um, intervention Mm. here from the court, uh, that vote is set down to start at four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Mandy, it's expected to run until eight o'clock tomorrow night.
going to be a very lengthy process. Sure, Lindsay. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we'll keep following your reports uh, on that to see what the developments are. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter. So what does this all mean? We are very much in uncharted territory here. Mpumalelo Zikalala, legal analyst, joining us now. Um, Mpumalelo, good afternoon to you. Uh, the impeachment of a judge in itself is um, uh, in, in many ways uncharted territory. We now have this this final ditch attempt to interdict that vote from even taking place. Uh, I was joking yesterday, but John Klope has absolutely exhausted every possible legal avenue he has since this issue first uh, came up years and years ago. Good afternoon to you and also to your listeners. Definitely uncharted territory. I think it's going to be the first time on which Parliament has to deal with the impeachment of a judge. So there are going to be instances in which the rules haven't been there. But what you simply do, you follow the constitution, not the constitution says. Now, it starts with the JSC, and after the JSC has taken the decision, then Parliament uh, gets into that particular process and then decides how to go about that particular the, the, the voting process. Now, if you have an issue with what the JSC has stated, you then go to court and review the decision of the JSC. And if the, your review processes have not been followed or they are still currently pending, then you can try and enter the Parliament and say, wait a minute, all the other alternative remedies that are there have not been uh, they are done and dusted. Please give me an opportunity to exhaust them before I come back, especially because if you seek to reverse that decision at a later stage, either currently there's no legislation which is going to allow you to do that, or it is much more prudent for you to, so for, for that process to happen, uh, depending on what the processes are. So I think that's what Judge Klopp is going to be saying. I'm a bit worried, though, if you go to court on an urgent basis with regards to time. If it was that this application was heard in court in January on any step, then one would understand and say, well, you've given all the other parties enough time in order. Mpumalelo? Hmm. I think we've lost Mpumalelo there, unfortunately. Mpumalelo Zikalala, legal analyst, unpacking that uh, situation uh, as he's been describing there. It's the constitution that will guide us, but we are indeed in uncharted territory here. Um, and, and things continuously happen in the news cycle that do surprise us. The impeachment of a judge, particularly the former Western Cape judge or president um, being uh, impeached here. Um, so let's see what happens. I think this is fascinating because it is uncharted legal territory. So for those uh, those of us who are really interested in the legalities of this and the um, the constitutionality of it, what happens? Will John Klopp be successful with this attempt to interdict that impeachment vote? As Lindsay said, it's set down for four o'clock until eight o'clock tomorrow where MPs will each take a turn to, uh, to vote um, and uh, they will be deciding on on that, but also Judge Nkola Matata as well, the so-called drunk judge, whether or not he will be impeached. Interesting times. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Yeah, Mandy, from these things happening in the morning there, uh, I think so. our government, they have to work with the, this guy, their tow trucks. It's easy because these guys can find anywhere corner by corner we find them tortured and if something is happening immediately is the one they responding first i think the government must have to work with them because you're gonna see it's the one the first respond before the police they can respond or before the ambulance they can respond they must make sure they work with these, these guys anything happening in the street is the one they responding first before anyone can come arrive there. Hi, Mandy Tabo here from Pretoria. I just want to comment regarding this unemployment rate. 
I don't think we need to get outraged and have an Arab Spring moment for unemployment. I think uh, we as South Africans need to also take responsibility. Uh, to We need to start businesses. We need an entrepreneurship uh, spirit in this country. Uh, no government is going to solve unemployment anywhere in the world, let alone in South Africa. So I think this illusion that uh, government is going to solve the unemployment problem it's uh, it's, a, it's a flawed one. We need to get up, we need to start businesses, and then let's help our country, let's help build our, com- uh, our country. Thank you very much uh, for those WhatsApp voice notes. Look, this is, um, I agree with parts of what you're saying. So I do believe in having that entrepreneurial spirit in this country, and we do have a can-do spirit. We have amazing stories of entrepreneurship uh, in, in the face of unemployment. So I agree with that. I agree with public-private partnerships. I always say this, uh, that you can't just leave it to government to, to create jobs. However, when you have this degree of unemployment in the country, and unemployment is getting worse, so you have 32.1% percent unemployment in this in this country um, if you look at the expanded definition uh, it's it's far worse right you have to create the climate you have to get the economy working you have to create jobs and that's where government is failing so we can't give government a free ride on, on unemployment I agree with you we need to create businesses we need to get businesses going and create employment where we can but if the climate is not there if there are um, macroeconomic microeconomic issues uh, if, if government is losing billions to fraud and mismanagement and corruption um, and and all of that that underpins the failures of of this this government over the last last 30 years, then then how can you excuse what government has done when it comes to getting the economy working in unemployment? So I hear what you're saying. I agree with parts of it, um, but I don't think we can just uh, uh, give give government a free ride on unemployment. 702. 702. Mandy Weiner. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, in the state of the province address last night from Gauteng Premier Panyazala Sufi, lots of big promises about all sorts of things, including um, employment, but also uh, e-tolls. So been explaining how they are going to finance e-tolls. Um, of course, there was that that issue between um, the EFF legislature members and the beneficiaries of the Nasi Spani program, which is the employment creation program being led by Gauteng Premier Panyazala Sufi. We were hoping to speak to the Premier uh, on the show today to get some answers to some of the questions. So, for example, uh, they say that uh, he says that uh, the Gauteng government's buying 12 private hospitals. Which 12 private hospitals and how are they going to fund that? Well, uh, let's firstly have a listen to what he said about opposition parties and the way that they were behaving at the State of the Province address and the sound is courtesy of Newsroom Africa. Have a listen. Unfortunately, from uh, what I was following either online or interviews, uh, it's quite clear that even members of the opposition they have not gone through the speech and the content or they don't understand it so their level of thinking was way way outside what we want and what we have delivered in the legislature but I must start by condemning uh, the, the behavior of certain political parties in the house uh, we can't tolerate people who uh, when you've got guests in the house, they feel that they can uh, undermine those guests. Uh, I know when I was the MEC for education, 
political parties will say to former Premier Makura, you are speaking about SEPO 1 million. Where are these 1 million young people? Mm -hmm. well, and today when we bring them, the same parties want to eject them from the middle. Lasufi uh, also spoke about this issue of ETOLs. Uh, so we now have a, a timeline of when it looks like ETOLs are going to be worked out. Uh, this has also been going on forever. Um, but remember, in the budget speech last year, it was explained that the Gauteng government will be contributing to uh, how much the ETOLs cost. So where's the money going to come from now? Panyaza Lasufi saying that they will borrow money from the banks, so from financial institutions, to pay back billions in ETOL debt to Sanral instead of having the national government take it from the local budget. Have a listen. So Treasury said that we are taking 30% in our next financial year. I mean, if you take 12 billion from our budget, uh, health will suffer, education will suffer. So that level of debate uh, took long, um, and, 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 and we could not then start the process of removing uh, 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 the, the etols until January they say uh, we met with the Minister of Transport Treasury and say this is how we want uh, to repay the 12 billion don't take it from our budget we'll go to financial institutions uh, that will are prepared to borrow us funds we are also prepared uh, to ensure that we resolve all outstanding matters that are related then we reach an agreement and on the basis of that agreement, we made the announcement that we made yesterday, uh, that from March, because you need to ungazette them, because they were gazetted. You need to ungazette them. Uh, so if you ungazette them, then they will be switched off, and people will not be in a position to still be built for ethos. So a free prize for you if you can tell me what has taken longer to resolve, the John Chlope court issue or ethos in Gauteng. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Uh, definitely striking a nerve here with this issue of unemployment. So Peter in Randburg saying, the can-do spirit is no use if there is infrastructure collapse, grid collapse, crime and corruption, poor education. Uh, and then uh, Rantekwa saying, the government is the biggest stakeholder in any affairs. Unemployment is directly their responsibility. We are already uh, starting uh, businesses um, and let me see what else that says. In townships or dying in load shedding, uh, responding there to whether it is government's responsibility alone. Well, let's unpack those numbers now, the unemployment numbers being released today by Statistics South Africa, the quarterly labor force survey for the uh, fourth quarter. And we're joined now by Rasenga Maruleka, the statistician general. Statistician general, as always, welcome to the Midday Report. Uh, Mandy, let me greet you and greet the Radio 702 listeners. I'd like to take a look at unpacking these numbers now. The official unemployment rate was 32.1% in the fourth quarter of 2023. Take us through those numbers. Let us start off by saying that we have seen movements in terms of the number of the people that uh, were employed between third and fourth quarter. Uh, the number of the employed people went down by 22,000, whereas the number of uh, unemployed people went up by 46,000, uh, returning 16.7 million employed people as well as 7.9 uh, million unemployed people, respectively. 
And when we say unemployed, we are talking about those that said they had actively looked for employment prior to the interview. Now, let us come back. When there's a movement, particularly when there's a movement downwards on uh, the number of em- people employed, and, uh, and of course, there's an increase in the number of unemployed people, unemployment as a rate will increase. So the 7.9 million represents the 32.1%, which is up by 0.2 of a percentage point from the previous quarter. When we look at the various industries that are either contributing to employment or contributing to unemployment, uh, give us the breakdown of that. There were uh, industries that contributed to employment. Finance as a sector in, uh, 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 contributed 128,000 jobs, followed by transport and and, and communication, contributing 57,000 jobs, followed by mining, 37,000 jobs. But those were not enough to offset the job losses that we have seen, particularly the majority of the losses were in community and social services, which include uh, government, where we have lost largely jobs in education and, 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 and defense. And other job, uh, we lost 171,000 jobs in community and social uh, services. Other losses were in construction, 36,000 and 35,000 jobs in agriculture. 28,000 jobs were lost in trade. And usually in the fourth quarter, we see a lot of jobs being created in trade. But this time, obviously, we have been watching the CPI consumer price index where it has uh, been st- steadily going up or sideways. So what happens is that uh, consumers have been withholding expenditure. That is why the uh, trade during the festive season could not uh, create more employment. Mm, That's interesting. Uh, As always, the youth remain vulnerable, black women also. Yeah, one of the things we know is that the unemployment rate for young people is sitting at 59.4%, far higher than the national average of 31.2%. And I'm talking about young people aged 15 to 24 uh, years here. When you go further and look at those aged 25 to 34, the unemployment rate is sitting at 39%. So young people remain vulnerable to labor markets. And so are women, particularly black African women, whose unemployment rate has always been higher than the national average. Statistician General, as always, thank you very much for your time. Rasenga Maloleka, breaking down uh, the numbers there, unpacking those numbers. uh, That does show that unemployment is worse. But what is really frightening is what he's just described there, right? 60% of young people in this country are unemployed. That is a crazy, crazy reality to comprehend when you look at the fact that young people cannot find employment in this country. What are they supposed to do? How do you deal with that? And how is that going to impact on the budget speech tomorrow? But how is it going to impact on the elections uh, when we have to get young people to the polls? Are they going to be looking at parties that could create employment or are they going to just be apathetic? And it's really scary to look at at those numbers and what that reality is. 702. 702. Mandy Weiner. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m.
So the Special Investigating Unit has been authorised to investigate allegations of maladministration and unlawful conduct by officials at the Department of Home Affairs and at PRASA. So that's the Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa. Those are two big new investigations. At the same time, SCOPA, the Standing Committee on Public Accounts, is receiving an update from the Presidency on the investigation report submitted by the SIU. And in the past, the SIU has accused the Presidency of doing nothing to follow the recommendations that they have made. So they are not being carried out. DGs just ignore them. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, is following that one for us. Babalo, good afternoon to you. Tell us about uh, what the uh, presidency has been saying to Scopa about the SIU reports. Uh, um, yes, indeed, Mandy. Good afternoon. Um, the, the president's basically telling Scopa that the SIU has completed its reports, but you know there are concerns of no follow-through in these reports. Some date back to 2002, and you know Scopa says they've been very patient on the matter for some time now. But um, the DDG in the presidency, Matiati Megoa, in the presidency responsible for processing these SI, SIU reports, you know says that you know work is continuous and quite fluid. They are trying to complete some of these reports. The presidency says Gauteng currently, for example, has seven active investigations and the Eastern Cape has the same amount and they say KZN since 2001 has had the most proclamations issued by the president for the SIU to investigate with 34 and they're saying these, some of, some of these are complete but not all are complete. They're tracking this to a new system that they've implemented and SIU says they've managed to recover 3.35 billion in the past decade. So this is cash in hand and it excludes the value of the contracts that have been set aside, um, which is really a, another concern by the members of the member because when you look at the amount of these contracts, which the SIU put 120 grants, that we covered a fraction of that at 0.3. So our calls for committee members for the try to recover a bit more than the 3 billion. As much as 3 billion is a lot of money, and there have been a total of 70 guilty convictions that have been handed down since 2021. And most of these are in relation to the COVID-19 PPE investigations that the SIU was busy with, you know, over the last few years. So a lot of improvement, Mandy, they say they have managed to complete some of these proclamations, but still a lot of work needs to be done. And, you know, um, members of the committee making this quite clear that they need the SIU to bring them, you know, more reports as early as next week, Wednesday. They want, they want a written report on, you know, more of the progress that has, that has happened since, since then. Babalo, thank you very much for that. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, on that Scopa hearing, hearing from the presidency on the SIU reports. Uh, also following that, but speaking to us on a slightly different issue, is the SIU spokesperson, Kaiser Hanyaho, who joins us now. Kaiser, good afternoon to you. I know that you're, you are watching uh, what's happening with that Scopa hearing, uh, but the SIU has also been authorised to now investigate allegations of maladministration and unlawful conduct by officials at Home Affairs and at Prasa. Um, these are two very, very big cases. They go back um, 10 to 14 years, 14 years in the case of, of Prasa. Uh, do you have the capacity at the SIU to, to deal with all of this? Thank you very much. Uh, I can't say we have a capacity, but I can say that we will handle this matters. Where there is a need for us to get more hands, we will do so. And and we have done it in previous of the investigations, as, as, and they will do the same with this one. You will know that the one on, on home affairs is uh, starting from 2004, 
uh, this way all the visas that were issued at that time. And that will take long because part of that time maybe the, some of the work was done manu- manually, therefore we've got to be to, to have a more hands to deal with that. Where do you find those hands? From the private sector? Um, uh, how do you find that capacity? We, we work with our uh, 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 HR department who, who then go out there and get all the specialized skills every time we need them. Because in some of the investigations, for example, we do not have to hire uh, quantity surveyors and so on. We then get them as and when we need them. Therefore, there is a structure in our HR department that deals specifically with that to make sure that we can get people as quickly as we as possible who are specialists in the areas that we need. The, the scope of this is, is massive. As you say, uh, the proclamation covers allegations of unlawful and improper conduct between 2004 and 2024. Uh, that, that is a very, very big scope. Uh, what kind of timeline are you looking at here? And then also, Kaiser, are, are you hopeful, in light of the scope of hearing we just heard about, that anything will actually come of these recommendations? Of course, you can make recommendations uh, on criminal action. You can institute civil action yourselves, but are, are you hopeful that it will all be worth it in the long run? No, it will be worth it because like the uh, Scopus is doing now when we are getting kept out, it is clear that we they need to be follow up on the recommendations that we do. And then the presidency has taken it upon themselves to do exactly that. Therefore, we are confident we will do what we are supposed to do. We will get whatever findings we get and then prepare them to the relevant people when it, and then we hope positively so that Something will be done. We will recover the money that needs to be recovered. That we are sure. There are some suggestions that this is too late in the case of Prasa, as an example. Many um, of the um, stations, so the infrastructure has already become so dilapidated that it's not recoverable. Um, do you, how would you respond to that kind of suggestion? We are not looking at that. We are looking at the contract between uh, Prasa and, and the Suifambo, Suifambo, and then the other one is Sangena, and then the third part we're looking at is the ghost workers. Therefore, those companies will still exist, and if we find that they need to pay back the money, we will get it from their resources, not necessarily with the, with the patients themselves. Kaiser, thank you very much. Kaiser Hanyahu is the SIU spokesperson explaining there um, the fact that the Special Investigating Unit has now been authorised to investigate allegations at the Department of Home Affairs and at PRASA, the Passenger Rail Agency. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Mandy, it's not the fault of the ANC that we, the country's in such a mess. They are just doing what history has demonstrated all human beings do when they have unchallenged power for a long time. They look after themselves, live in luxury and have no care for the people they pretend to be governing. The fault is with us. We have the very hard-won privilege of being able to once every five years put a tick in a box to choose who should be the next government. And our population chooses not to do that. Thank you, Janine. Good afternoon, Mandy. I think both government and private sector have a role to play in alleviating unemployment. National government in terms of setting policy and local government in terms of creating an environment that enables businesses to operate unobstructed. And in terms of the private sector, I think companies need to be innovating and really 
looking to grow their uh, sectors, their various sectors in order to create the employment. There's a graduate finder SA website I saw, which um, allows graduates to register themselves and for companies or recruitment agencies to locate graduates in there. I think that could go a long way towards making a difference in this unemployment. That really resonates with me. It's something that I speak about um, on um, platforms around the country all the time. Um, I speak about this issue of responsible corporate citizens and the role that the private sector has to play in terms of public-private partnerships, in terms of entrepreneurship and creating employment, and we cannot leave it to government alone. But at the same time, we cannot absolve government of responsibility. Um, and to say that it's not government's fault that unemployment is so bad, I think is, is wrong. So I think it's both. And I agree with you. I think you've, you've, you're very wise on the way that you've described it. Uh, but what is it going to take to get people to change their minds at the polls? When you have an unemployment rate that is so high and then you have a voter turnout rate that is so low um, and those two being uh, proportional, uh, you know, that, that's the question is, will people go, I'm unemployed? am I going to vote in the upcoming election? That is going to be the big question of these polls. I think watch John Lachlope's application this afternoon, that uh, application for an urgent interdict. That's going to be a really, really interesting one to see if he is successful there.